All right, we're going to be in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 27. And as you're turning there, let me let you know by way of introduction, we are finishing up the three-part mini-series almost uh, with the story of the woman at the well. And this story, start to finish, is great, and tonight goes out with a bang. So much so that I have six points, so we better get after it. And we'll start right here in verse 27. It says, Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Now, modern vernacular, we look at this and we're like, Dude, it's just Jesus talking to a woman. What's the big deal? Well, it was quite the big deal back then. <coughs> in fact, it was such a big deal. Let me give you two quotes to encapsulate what a big deal it was. A man shall not be alone with a woman at an inn, not even with his sister or his daughter, on account of what men may think. A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even with his own wife, and especially not another woman on account of what men may say. Another guy said this, He that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law, and at last will inherit Gehenna, which was kind of their version of hell. And I think a couple of things with that. Number one, when you step away from the Bible and you start making up legalistic regulations, you end up with craziness like this. That's still true today, by the way. Not on this issue, but on plenty of others. But also, it gives insight into the disciples marveling that Jesus was talking with this woman. And you remember, this was a heightened thing. This is a, a woman of somewhat ill repute. She's had five husbands. She's living with a guy she's not married to. But yet, they respected Jesus enough. They knew something was going on, and they did not inquire further. But I also want you to pay attention to this. The timing that is at work here. Because they were gone long enough for Jesus to get in deep conversation with this lady. But they also were gone long enough for him to be able to make his messianic proclamation, which is what we ended with last week. But yet they show up now at this very moment for Jesus to give them some specific instruction that he will give throughout the passage. And when you take all that together, I think that's our first point today. And that is that Jesus has an impeccable sense of timing, an impeccable sense of timing. And this is true not just in the life of the disciples, but it's true in our lives as well. Let me illustrate this for you like this. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go up and see my parents. Uh, it was a wonderful trip. And on the way back, I stopped at a Perkins restaurant. We got that picture? Will it pop up? You see it right there? Okay, now... Perkins Restaurant is not very notable, but this Perkins Restaurant is of great significance because it was in this parking lot that Laurieann and I began dating. It became official some, gosh, what is it, coming up on 24 years ago now, that I proposed to her that we date. And it was in, it was in this parking spot that, that you can't see right here, and what I was going to try to do since it was on the way was I pulled off at this Perkins, and <coughs> I, I was going to pull into the parking spot and take this selfie and show it to the kids. But when I pulled into the parking lot, 
here's what was in that very parking spot. We got this picture? Look at this. Some guy in a 65 Mustang Fastback had the audacity to park in my spot. And it was the providence of God. <coughs> because I walk up there, I'm taking a selfie. He laughs at me because he should have. It was funny. And it was this big country boy. He came out and was eating a muffin, which makes this story even better. Harley Davidson hat, he's eating this muffin. And we start talking, and I told him what I was doing. I was like, hey, I'm, you're in the spot here, and I, here's why the spot's important, blah, blah, blah. So we get into this whole deal. We start talking about cars, and I'll be honest with you. I know enough about cars to know this one is special, but not so much to get in super deep about that, but I knew just enough. And then that conversation <coughs> led from cars to guitars, and I do know a lot about guitars, and so he and I started chopping it up about that. He's got two 1970-something Martins, which are very special. And then we got from that to, well, I'm a musician also, and I pastor a church, and so on and so forth. And the next thing you know, I've been standing there like 15 minutes talking to this guy. And then this turns into a gospel conversation. And anytime I get into something like this, I'm always thinking and praying, how can I get to Jesus from what we're talking about? <coughs> and so... We get in deeper here. Turns out I think this guy is a believer. Had some theology that we needed to talk about, but I think he is a believer. Turns out he feeds a group of homeless men under a bridge in Knoxville. Sounds like almost every week. <coughs> and from that conversation, turns out he's got a friend that had brain cancer and used to help him do this. And just this past weekend when I engaged this guy, this would have been two or three days before, the man took his own life. Just the, the pain and the difficulty of just the ongoing illness, he, he just got to where he couldn't take it anymore. And so all of this, we're having this conversation here outside of Perkins that I haven't stopped at in probably five, ten years. And had I been five minutes earlier, I wouldn't have seen him coming out. And had I been five minutes later, I would have missed him. And so Jesus had impeccable timing to allow me to be there to talk to this guy, to basically counsel him on the heels of his friend taking his own life, and be able to sincerely encourage him in the gospel and really give him some hope in the true faith in Christ. Now, obviously, I don't tell you that story to hold myself up as some great example, but I do tell you that story to say if Jesus has impeccable timing in my life, he has it in yours as well. These disciples show up just late enough to let all this go down, but just early enough to hear what Jesus had to say. And the same Jesus that is the same yesterday, today, and forever has that same impeccable timing for all of us. And so this is my encouragement, that we would be sensitive to it that we would be open to it, that we would be going through life looking for opportunities where Jesus is doing this kind of thing. It may or may not involve a Perkins and a 65 Fastback. Probably won't. But there's going to be all kinds of providential encounters that you have maybe even this week. And so I just want to raise the flag tonight and say, hey, Let's pay attention. Let's be looking for the kind of thing 
that Jesus does in this passage. And let's get involved in it just like these folks did. Now look at this, verse 28. So the woman, so this is the woman at the well, left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man that told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, the language that is used here seems to indicate she got so excited about the conversation that she was having with Jesus that she just forgot the water pot and took off. And then the language that's used here, this come and see, it, 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 it's a sense of wonder, it's a sense of amazement, it's a sense of can this really be the prophesied one? And so she is throwing this out here for them to come and investigate. And let me, let me just give us this encouragement here as well, and I want to be clear, I don't think this is like a major point in the passage, but I run into this often enough in the lives of people that I feel compelled to put it out there. And here's what I'm getting at. This woman, everybody would have known. I mean, if you think that the world that we live in today is bad about people knowing your business, can you imagine this little town? They didn't even have social media. But everyone would have known this woman. And there's a good chance that a number of these men had been with this woman. This is not a big operation here in Sychar where they were. And so there could have at least been the chance that she would have said, oh my gosh, they're not going to listen to me. I, I've made too much of a mess of my life. And we don't know that for sure, but people think those kinds of things all the time. But the second thing I want to put for you to, before you tonight is this, to never forget that the good news is so good that it cannot be canceled by our bad examples. And I run into folks sometimes that will say, man, I can't talk to my family. They know me. They know what we've been through. They know our struggles. They're not going to listen to me. Okay, well, maybe not. But you know what? If you share the word of God with them, they just might listen to Jesus. And we can't let our bad example lead us into not proclaiming the gospel. That's exactly the kind of thing the devil wants to do. He wants to gag Christians. He wants to discourage Christians. He wants to do anything he can to keep them from sharing the good news of Jesus. And you need to remember, it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Not just your proclamation of it. The gospel itself has inherent power. Now, this principle in the wrong hands, you could do some damage. Be like, okay, great. He said, it doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. Nope, that's not what I'm saying. This principle is not an excuse for our shenanigans and bad behavior, okay? We need to set the best example that we can. We need to repent accordingly as the situation calls for when we blow it in front of other people. But we don't need to let anything keep us from proclaiming the truth. Here's another objection that sometimes Christians have. They'll say, well, I don't have the moral authority to speak on this. Let me tell you something. No one is going to be saved or lost based on your moral authority. You know whose moral authority they're going to be saved on? Jesus Christ. Now again, we need to live as upright as we can. But the gospel needs to go out. We need to trust Jesus. We need to share Jesus as much as we can in all the opportunities that he gives us. It didn't stop this woman. 
and it doesn't need to stop us. Now, verse 31. Meanwhile, I like this because I grew up watching 1960s Batman reruns, and this is, a, this is a Batman line right here. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And again, this is one of those markers, one of those reminders that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He would have gotten hungry. And then Jesus has this great retort. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And clearly what is happening there is kind of like what happened last week. Jesus is trying to talk about living water. And then the week before, he's laying on the same thing. And, and, and the woman is hearing physical water. And he's talking about spiritual water. It's the same thing here. They are thinking only literal food. And Jesus is talking about spiritual food. And then he makes that crystal clear in verse 34. Look at it. It says, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I like what Calvin has to say about this. He says, By his example, Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God should have priority over all bodily comforts. So principally, here's what he's saying. Jesus considers it his food to do the will of God, and as Jesus' people, we should do the same. Now, is Jesus insinuating here that real Christians never stop to eat and never stop to sleep? Of course not. We're not angels. We're not robots. We do get tired. We do need to take breaks. We do need to eat. But at the same time, we need to hear the force of what he's saying here. We need to hear the priority that he is placing upon doing the will of God. This meant a lot to Spurgeon. He actually really kind of confronted his flock from this very text. Let me read this to you. This is a quote. Some of you good people, you know it's going to be good when it starts like that. Some of you good people who do nothing except go to public meetings, the Bible readings and prophetic conferences and other forms of spiritual dissipation would be a good deal better Christians if you would look after the poor and needy around you. If you would just tuck up your sleeves and go to work. And tell the gospel to dying men, you would find your spiritual health mightily restored. For very much of the sickness of Christians comes through having nothing to do. All feeding and no working makes men spiritual dyspeptics. Be idle, careless, with nothing to live for, nothing to care for, no sinner to pray for, no backslider to lead to the cross, no trembler to encourage, no child to tell of a Savior, no gray-headed man to enlighten in the things of God, no object, in fact, to live for. Who wonders if you begin to groan and murmur and look within until you are ready to die of despair. Woo. That would have been a uh, mic drop moment in the time that he would have been alive. But I think his point is well made. And I think with where we are as a church, we can hear this without falling off of some kind of performance treadmill. 
right? Because there are some churches where the, where the message is do, 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 do. We're not that church. I hear this as let's keep the gospel central and let that spur us on into even more gospel behavior. I think that's part of the takeaway for us from this part of the passage. That Jesus is saying it is his food to do the Lord's will. And as Jesus' people, we want to follow in that footstep path. Now, are we ever going to do it at Jesus' level? Of course not. But this is an encouragement. This is an attaboy. This is a come on, follow me. Let's do this together. And by and large, I think our church is, I mean, the Lord has been very kind to us in this regard. So I hear this as a, let's keep on keeping on, and let's also be open and mindful for whatever else the Lord might spring up within us. I was telling somebody the other day, they asked me how the church was doing. I was like, man, you know, I think the Lord is doing a, he's doing a new work among us. Some of it we see, some of it we don't see. But my guess is, as we seek further to walk down this path, the Lord is going to spring up more ministry in the hearts of some of the people in this room. That there's going to be more burden that people are going to have for this community or this community or this community. And just like we had Nate that we sent out last week, we went to Columbus to go work with those folks. There's going to be more people that the Lord raises up that get on this wavelength, if you will, and say, it is my food to do the will of the one who sent me. And I want to do that like Jesus did. So let's be sensitive to it. Let's listen for it. And let's also be reminded that it is the gospel working within us that's going to make that possible. Because what I think Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about all the things that we think he would be. He's talking about ministering to this woman that's right in front of him. He's talking about continuing the kingdom work, the proclamation of the gospel. He's also talking about where his life goes, the, 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 all of his perfect obedience, and then eventually his sacrificial death. It is Jesus' food to do all those things for us. So if we're going to do this right, it's really not even us that's doing the work. I mean, yeah, we might be the man or woman that stands there and hands out the lunch bags to the homeless like the guy I met. Or might be the man or woman or child that fills backpacks in the fall when we do that kind of stuff. We might be the person sharing the gospel, but it is the living Christ that is working through us to do those works of God. To do the will of God. So let's be sensitive to what he wants to say. And let's be sensitive to how he wants to do it. Through us. For us, for his glory, in the advancement of his kingdom. Now, here in verse 35, Jesus kind of laser focuses in, laser focuses in, there we go, on a particular type of good work that they were about to do. Look at this. It says, Do not, do you not say, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? And what this probably was, there's there was probably a proverb at this time where people kind of said this kind of thing. It's just a farming analogy that basically you would plant in one season then you'd wait a few months and then there comes your, your crop. And Jesus takes that idea 
And he goes full Sermon on the Mount here. That's what I think is happening. And, and what I mean by that is he, he takes the examples of the things that are happening around him, and he makes that sermon material. That's what good teachers do. They use what's around them to communicate truth. And so he sees these Samaritans, that the woman has gone back and she's told them all the stuff, and they're coming out to investigate. Some people think that they have white clothes on, because that was a traditional dress at this time, still is in this area for, uh, for some people. And he's saying, well, let's just let him say, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And he's saying, listen, the fields are people. The Samaritans are harvestable at this time. And here they come. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I have sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, but you have entered into their labor. And so what he's getting at there is, listen, we're, we're all out there trying to share. It's possible that he's referring to John the Baptist has been in this area. He's been sowing the seed, prepare the way, Jesus is coming. He could be talking about the Old Testament prophets, the scriptures that they would have had. They had some sense that the Messiah was coming. And he's saying this seed has been sown for quite some time here, and here you guys come. You're going to get to drag in the hall, and you're not even doing any of the sowing on this one. You're just reaping. But it is also implicit here that you're going to do some sowing for a harvest you don't see. You're going to do some sowing for somebody else to come behind you and do some reaping. And when you take all that together, here's what it is as a principle. That just like in that day, the fields of people are still ripe for harvest. And like the disciples, we need to get out there and we need to share the good news about Jesus. I found this quote from Augustine that I think is really helpful on this. <clears throat> Talking about Jesus. He said, you are ever active, yet always at rest. You gather all things to yourself, though you suffer no need. You welcome those who come to you, though you never lost them. You release us from our debts, but you lose nothing thereby. You are my God, my life, my holy delight. But is this enough to say of you? Can any man say enough when he speaks of you? Yet woe betide those who are silent about you. Now, he didn't say it the way that we'd say it today, because this was a few hundred years ago. But what he's basically saying is this. Jesus is matchless in his glory. Can we ever say enough or too much about his greatness and who he is and what he's done? We can't. But goodness, if we don't speak and we don't say something, oh, that's what Augustine is saying. And so... When we hear that, this is my response that I guess all of us have. 
there's a measure of conviction because we all know we could be talking about Jesus more. But my sincere encouragement is that we move from confession or uh, conviction to confession of where we have fallen down on the job and then very quickly to consolation. Because the thing that is going to help us get out there and share the gospel is not me haranguing at us to do so. It is giving you the gospel. That's what's going to get you to share the gospel more. Because if we can get to the point that we really believe that we are truly and fully and finally accepted by God, then it's not going to matter if we get rejected by men. The number one reason we don't share the gospel is we're afraid of that rejection. I mean, are there some other reasons? Yeah, probably. But that's the number one. We're afraid. We don't want somebody to say something cross to us or mess up the relationship. And you know what? I completely understand that. Completely. But here's what I know. It's worth the risk. Now, do we, do we need to be wise about how do we do this? And when you, when you get into work and all those, not, yes, yes and amen to all that. But all of those complications should not be an eschatological reason why we just don't do it. It's worth finding our way through the milieu of difficulty to get the saving gospel to dying men and women. It's worth it. Because Jesus is good enough. Again, you think back about this woman, and I don't want to read something into the text that isn't there, but I can't help but think there wasn't some moment where she was like, oh, it didn't matter. Because what Jesus had done for her and what Jesus could do for her townspeople was so far greater than her worry that it, it just plowed over. If we really know the degree to which we have been redeemed, how can we not share that with other people who need to be redeemed? I'll just say this to you. In my own life and in my own journey, and I don't feel like I've figured this out. I feel like I'm figuring it out. But because of the last two and a half years of my own life, I have a greater sense of this is the time. This is the moment. Don't waste it. Don't try to live too far in the future. Do not live in the past. Live now and do what God wants me to do now. That is something that is brewing in my heart. And that is affecting my evangelism. Because I had another crazy story the other day. I was in a vinyl record store, so this is going to be great. And I was looking at records, and I was looking at CDs. This is the one where I actually found my own CD on the wall. And so that obviously started a conversation that you would imagine. And then from there, I got to talking to this guy. Well, I'm pastor church, and used to do this, and started songwriting. It, it just became a story. And then he said something that was kind of faith-evident, but it was very works-based. Clearly not coming from the kind of framework that we are. And I just felt very compelled by the Lord. Listen, I don't have a lot of time with this guy. I just need to cut straight to Jesus and start talking about the gospel. And I think I said something like this. I was like, well, I'm a Christian, and 
I don't believe anything happens by accident, so, and just jump straight into it. And you know what? Like, everything about our culture would tell us that that's crazy, and that's like the least effective strategy, but for this guy, it just cut right through it. And in that moment, and I'm not saying every gospel conversation needs to be that way, but in that moment, I was able to really dump out some gospel truth and really help this guy. Now, unlike the first guy, I'm not sure where this guy's at with the Lord. But in this kind of situation, I was just trying to sow. I was just trying to put it out there. And it was two things that helped me do that. Number one, it is this sense of like, this is my moment. God spared me for a reason, and I got stuff I need to do. But the second thing was the gospel. What did I have to lose? I don't know this guy. I mean, I hope he doesn't cuss at me and say mean things, but if he does, well, I tried. And it was being rooted in the gospel in that moment that helped me be able to do that. And in that regard, man, I am no different than any of the rest of us. So to summarize all that I'm trying to say here, if you have a difficult time sharing the gospel, go back to the gospel for yourself. What's the truest thing about you? It's who you are in Christ. And if they reject you, ultimately they're rejecting Jesus, not you. But you are loved and accepted and valued. And every one of us can take a little bit of verbal heat because our Savior took the ultimate wrath of God upon himself for us. And he stands with us in those moments of proclamation. He stands with us in those moments of rejection. And we can do it. Because it's him doing it through us. Friends, the fields are white for harvest. God has people out there that are going to come to faith when we share the gospel. We may not see it. Maybe the next guy or girl that comes along that throws out the good news there, but people are going to come to faith. We got to trust them. Now, let me say one more thing on this point because this is what else I've run into. Various conversations that I've had. Let me be clear about the text here. What Jesus is talking about is sharing the gospel in a way where people get saved. Okay, Traditional evangelism, that's what he's talking about. But here in the modern South, I think there's an entirely different subset of people that need to hear the gospel, not in a saving way, but in a clarifying and helping way. And here's what I mean. That, that guy that I was just talking about, I don't, I don't know where he's at, but I know what he came at me with was not exactly biblical Christianity. It was very much like I have to do these things and can't do this. and that. Like that was, it was gospel-ish, but it was not the gospel. And particularly here in the South, particularly here in Middle Tennessee because of some of the denominal background that is here, there is an entirely separate group of people that need to hear the freedom of the gospel. Because they've grown up in works-based churches. And so there is evangelism like Jesus is talking about here. And there's almost this, I'm going to call it evangelism and put it in quotation marks. Evangelism in quotation marks to try to help these people understand 
the actual truth. And then on top of that, to try to get them into faithful churches, whether it's this church or one in Murfreesboro or Mount Julie, wherever they are. But these people are all over this region. They're everywhere. And the worse the culture gets, the more important this kind of sowing of the true gospel is going to become. So let me say it a different way. You are not just sharing the gospel for unbelievers. You are also sharing the gospel for confused believers, for discouraged believers. Not a single one of us in this room could hear the gospel too much. And when you multiply that out to all the crazy teaching that has happened over the past 150 years, there's an entire group of people that are wandering out there that need to have things clarified. And let me give you some more good news from this passage. You and I are not charged with the whole deal. We're just part of the program, part of the assembly line. Look back at verse 37 and 38. I said this before, but let me, let me just say it again, make sure we get it. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for what you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Is that not very similar to what Paul says in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians 3. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. And, and let me just say, some of us in this room that have uh, like a sales background at some point, there can be this part of us that's like, man, that guy's going to poach my sale. I talk to him for a little while, and I talk to him for a little while, and then this other person's going to come in. They're gonna, that is not how the kingdom works. You sow, you share, you teach the truth, you encourage the people. We are all on Team Jesus. And there is plenty of reward, which he refers to here, to go around. And the Lord is going to sort that out. Because at the end of the day, we're proclaiming him and not ourselves anyway. Now, let's wrap this passage up. There's actually two more things I want you to see. Look at this, verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more, two more days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Pay attention to that phrase. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So the two principles I want to pull out of that is this. First one, we don't have to have all the answers to be qualified to share the gospel. Oh, friends, this is important too, because I would say, on the list of why people don't share, the first one is that fear of rejection. I would say a reasonably close second is, but what if they ask a question that I don't know? What if they want to talk about the age of the earth or dinosaurs on the ark or like 
aliens or, uh, you know, all these other issues. I mean, maybe they will. Maybe they will. Let me give you this magic phrase. I don't know. Just tell them, man, I don't know. That's a good question. I could do some research and get back to you on that. But here's what I do know. This is what my life was like before I met Jesus. This is what my marriage was like. Here's what God has done in my marriage. Here's what God has done in saving me. There's a thousand winding roads that you can take to get to Jesus for these people. And you don't have to have all the answers. What if this woman had said, I don't understand it all. I guess I'll just sit on it. The rest of these people wouldn't have come out to hear the story. She went with what she had to who she had and told, and then they came to check it out. It's because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not simply her testimony. Did you notice that? Her testimony was what kind of whet their interest, but who saved them? It wasn't her story. It was Jesus. It was what Jesus said. It was Jesus' message of the kingdom. And we need to rest in that, friends. We need to rest in that. You don't have to have everything together. You don't have to have it all right. You just share what you have. And here's the final principle. Listen to this. <laughs> you never know what might happen after you share the gospel. There are so many stories of this person led this person to Christ and this person led this person to Christ and then boom, Billy Graham comes out. And the guy that started over here, he wasn't sharing with Billy Graham, but it was somebody who shared with somebody who shared with somebody. That is God's work. That is the mystery of the kingdom. That's that little tiny mustard seed that grows up into this huge tree. That's the mysterious work of God doing all these things around us. We don't know what's going to happen. We just know that we need to be out there and we need to be sharing. We need to be so rooted in the gospel that we can't help but it for to just come out of our mouth. Let me close with this story that I found this week. I think really drives this home. There was a miner who interrupted this famous preacher named John Hutton, obviously a while ago. And the guy, uh, Hutton was up there preaching, and this guy gets up in a meeting like this, and he starts leading the whole congregation in the doxology. And uh, I think that would be a little strange, so let's not do that here. But what happened was, after that, they, 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 he was like, I, I got to meet this guy. He's just so fired up about Jesus. I got to figure out what's going on here. And he was so excited. He basically just couldn't sit still when the word was being preached, but it was authentic. And he asked this guy a story, and here's what he said. He said, I was bad a lot. I drank. I pawned the furniture. I knocked my wife about. Now I have the real life. And it's splendidly worthwhile. And they came along and they asked him, they said, hey, when you go down into the pit, that's what they called it, where the guys were mining, and they would jeer at you and they, they said, hey, you don't seriously believe all that old stuff, this old yarn, they called it, about Jesus turning water into wine. And he said, I don't know about all that. He said, I, I know nothing about water into wine, but here's what I know. I know that at my house, Jesus Christ turned beer into furniture.
and that's good enough for me. And I'm like, woo, beer and furniture, that will preach. And just the simplicity of that, oh my gosh, it just encourages me. Because this is not a diatribe saying, hey, don't do deep study. I think you know at this point we're pretty committed to deep study. But this is what I'm saying to you. Don't let you not having a Ph.D. in whatever paralyze you from communicating the gospel. That's what I'm saying. You know, one final interesting textual insight here, this phrase that I said to make mention of, they called him the Savior of the world. And that's important. Because with where we're at in the Gospel of John, this is the first time that kind of phrase is used. And it shows that the Gospel is not just for Jews. It's not just for Samaritans. It's for anyone from anywhere who has done anything if they will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Friends, that is who we proclaim. That is who gives us courage. That is who helps us in all kinds of moments of weakness. It is that Jesus, the Savior of the world. Two things. Where do you most need that Jesus' help tonight? Is it in sharing the gospel like we've talked a lot about? Maybe it's in just going back to the gospel for some other issue that you've got going on. You need to know that the person you are approaching is Jesus, the Savior of the world. And the second thing is who in your sphere of influence do you need to be praying for and asking the Lord for just divine intervention to be able to share with them Maybe there's somebody that's truly lost, or maybe they're one of these confused Christians that I talked about. Friends, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He can help that man that seems beyond help. He can help that woman that has gone totally off the deep end. He can help that person that says crazy stuff. He's the Savior of the world. And so I want to end tonight praying for those two things. Ourselves those people. Let's take us all before the Lord now. Let's pray. Oh Lord, there are many different points of application for this. There's so much in this passage. But Lord, here's what we know for sure. We need the gospel and everybody needs the gospel. You are the Savior of the world, and you are the Savior of us. And so, Lord, we bring you ourselves, all our sins, all of our faults and foibles. And we thank you that you are the sufficient and appropriate payment for all of them. And, Lord, we also bring loved ones, co-workers, children, Extended family, neighbors, parents that we're sort of getting to know. 
and we ask for intervention on their behalf. Lord, we ask that you would give us opportunity to share with these people and that you would give us boldness and courage and the words to speak. And so, Lord, that, that we would have stories whether they get told or not is irrelevant. But every time we get together, that we would have stories of how you are using your impeccable sense of timing to put us in the right place at the right time to say what you make the right thing so that other people would see that you are the Savior of the world. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged by this passage. That we would be strengthened by this passage. That we would be appropriately confronted by this passage. And that we would be caught up in the story that you are telling throughout all of history. And through Refuge Church. Through each family that's here each single that's here, that you would just cause us to be like boats on the lake with the sail up and your wind just blows us where you want us to go. Lord, we need your help. We know you will answer this kind of prayer because it is for your glory and for our good and the advancement of the gospel. And Lord, finally, I just want to pray for whatever things that you're doing in people's lives. Maybe some new ministry that's going to emerge at some point. Maybe it's like what Nate did. Maybe it's not at all like what Nate did. But we know that you have a heart for so many people. And we know that you call that Lord, thank you for this time that we've had in your word. Speak to us now through communion, through the giving of our offering and the songs that we love to sing. In Jesus' name.